Welcome in the latest Daily Wager Extra podcast. We are taping this on Monday morning, January 3rd, after a wild, wild week 17. Of course, it's not done yet because we've had a wild, wild line movement in Monday Night Football between the Browns and Steelers, a domino effect based on the results from Sunday. And to help me sort it all out is... ESPN researcher extraordinaire, Mackenzie Kramer. Mackenzie, good to be with you on this Monday morning. Happy to be with you, too. One of the more uh, exciting weeks of the NFL season this past weekend. On paper, it didn't look so great. We had 13 lines of at least six or higher, the most in any week in the Super Bowl era. Well, tied for the most, but we had a lot of drama on the weekend, and that Chiefs-Bengals game is probably one of the games of the year so far. Yeah, it lived up to the hype, right? We saw some line movement came down from like five and a half to three and a half, which is no surprise that the Chiefs, you had to pay a little bit of a tax. Winners of eight straight, six straight covers. But the Bengals have answered a lot of challenges, but they've also laid a couple eggs this year off big wins. So we didn't really know what to expect. Joe Burrow was fantastic. Jamar Chase was fantastic. And uh, after the Chiefs had a fantastic start since he chipped away and eventually pulled it out after... A defensive penalty enabled them to kick the game-winning field goal as time expired. Otherwise, Mahomes and that offense were going to get another chance, almost like blame the defense, so to speak, for having a nice goal line stand because that ultimately prevented Mahomes from getting one last chance to either force overtime or win it. But the domino effect I mentioned earlier, that Bengals win has forced the Browns basically to have no incentive tonight. They are officially eliminated from the playoffs now that Cincy has won the division. And so the line is now Steelers favored by two and a half. Touch three, two and a half, but they were three and a half point dogs this time yesterday morning. Yeah, in fact, if you look at that line movement, like you said, this time yesterday, about around noon Eastern time, Cleveland was three and a half. They moved to minus three after the one o'clock games ended. They were minus one right after they were eliminated from the playoffs. And now it's either two and a half or three where you look in favor of Pittsburgh. Home teams have done so well this week. They're uh, 12, to, they're, uh, uh, 12, two and one against the spread this week. Home dogs were four and oh against the spread. I thought we we're going to have a talk about another home dog on Monday night, but uh, apparently not with Pittsburgh now favored. So I'm glad I got the P- Pittsburgh plus three and a half earlier in the week. Well, it's kind of funny that the narrative has swung the line so much. We talk about this, I don't know, during champ week and things like that, the bubble teams. But even this weekend, teams, some teams played loose and free. You, you, I'm not sold that Cleveland being eliminated make means they're going to play worse, right? Like they're, it is still Monday night football. They're not going to like rest a bunch of guys. And now if there were guys battling injuries that are all of a sudden not going to play totally, I get it. But there's a, there's a, um, there's an argument you can make that it was, um, you know, that they're going to play better. You can make the argument at least. I, I completely agree. I think this is a bit of an overreaction to it. I mean, we've seen some random narrative streets kind of move lines this year. My favorite this year, of course, when Urban Meyer got fired and that line steamed toward uh, Jacksonville, thinking that Jacksonville would be more motivated with their coach gone. Motivation is such a hard thing to handicap sometimes in the NFL. I mean, it's still a giant rivalry game. You have to think Cleveland's going to want to beat Pittsburgh on the road. Um, It was going to be the first time since 1989 where Cleveland would have been favored in both meetings at Pittsburgh. Cleveland kind of wants to assert their dominance over their rival in that division, even with uh, their playoff chances ended. Pittsburgh still has a chance to make the playoffs, too, though. It's very, very slim, so I'm sure Cleveland's motivated to knock them out. I mean, Cleveland already knew that they were very unlikely to make the playoffs. We already knew that their odds to make the playoffs were extremely low. So 
I don't understand a six point six point line swing on this team is very extreme. Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's around zero, less than three, so it's not a complete. It's not like one to seven, but um, the whole thing fascinates me. I, I'm I want no part of the game. I, I joked earlier last week. I said, "Can we stop not talk about this on air because I don't want to end up betting it." <laughs> Uh, but I will say the Steelers, 50, five straight games without a first-half touchdown. I lean Cleveland first half, so that's one play. But let's 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 recap more yesterday because, you know, look, there was a, a lot of trendy plays, and I was on Arizona. Excuse me, I was on Dallas. I was like, look, I, I get it. I get the smart play is Arizona. I get the spot is Arizona. The value is there. I get it. I just have to play Dallas. Of course, the Cardinals finally do show up and deliver, and that, that had a big effect on, a, a, you know, the playoff seating and a bunch of other things. Yeah, that line steamed all the way up to six and a half. It was – Three and a half earlier in the week, so I, that that was a line where everybody wanted to take Dallas. Dallas had been the best team against the spread all year. They had been twelve and three against the number. They've been ten and zero in conference games against the number. But Arizona this year as an underdog has been—it's <laughs> hard to be better than what they've been against as a dog this year. They're six and zero outright as a dog. They'd be favored on the in week eighteen, so they'll finish the year six and zero outright as an underdog, which would be the most regular season wins without a loss as a dog in the Super Bowl era. All those games came on the road. Overall, they're eight and one against the spread out on the road. And uh, we might see a rematch of these teams in a couple of weeks as uh, our FBI thinks there's a 70 percent chance that they'll meet in the first round of the playoffs. So you might get another chance to, uh, uh, to handicap this game in, uh, in a week and a half from now. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe it's better for if you want Dallas to be in Arizona because the Cardinals have been such world beaters on the road and. It is what it is. That's sort of the narrative of the years that the road teams in the last couple of years, right? That road teams have, have played so well. So ripping through a couple games that you know don't deserve much attention. <laughs> Patriots fifty to ten over Jacksonville. That was a absolute beatdown, and uh, we expected that, right? The Jags had a couple heartbreaking losses now to go up to the cold weather, and uh, we weren't expecting much. Just given that, um, you know, what's what's been going down in the Jacksonville locker room. Yeah, my only play on this one was the Jaguars team total under just because I didn't see how the Jaguars would be able to score in this game. The number was only 12 and a half, so it's hard to lay an under at 12 and a half, but it's just so hard to watch this Jacksonville offense with a struggling Trevor Lawrence throwing to probably the worst receiving core in the NFL. That's That line steamed all the way up to 17, too. Uh, Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback, favored by 17 points. We hadn't seen a line that large in favor of rookie quarterbacks since 1987, which was the NFL strike season. And the last time we saw it in a non-strike season was all the way back in 1976. But like you said, the Patriots cover that number easily. They joined the Cowboys as the only team this year with multiple 40-point wins, and they clinched a playoff spot. That's the the, the surprising the, – one of the other subplots is that Jamar Chase now the favorite uh, for, for offensive rookie of the year. So we just mentioned the Patriots playing. We mentioned the Bengals playing, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. And I've been saying all along that the narrative is not a quarterback award necessarily. It's, it's you know, production. And sure enough, Jamar Chase is finally here. A lot of the awards markets moved a lot uh, this week. We can talk about a couple of them later on the show. But, yeah, Jamar Chase entering the week, he was plus 375. Now he's minus 220. Mac Jones was minus 450 entering the week. Now he's plus 180. Jamar Chase winning a lot of people their fantasy championships this week. Put up 55.6 fantasy points in PPR, the Second most points we've seen by any player in championship week in the last 20 years, only behind Alvin Kamara last year when he had the six touchdown game, set the single game rookie receiving record. Chiefs just had no answer for him on the outside. He had 12 targets, caught 11 of them. But 
Yeah, it just shows the volatility of a lot of these future markets this week that you can see a guy go from minus 450 last week, play well, put up 50 points in a win, and now he's plus 180 just because Jamar Chase had a couple big games in a row. So these awards markets in the futures, especially the ones that are voted on, very, very, very volatile. Uh, we can talk about some of the other movements if you want, but the rookie of the year one's obviously the biggest one. Yeah, and I'm just, I feel vindicated because I was saying, look, Chase is going to get there. Chase is going to get there because Mac Jones is not the narrative of the Patriots. And I had a feeling they'd lose to the Bills and whatever. Because Roger's taking off and he's now, what, minus 400 or so. That's, that's certainly, I did not anticipate. I thought he would be more punishable <laughs> by the voters based on some of the uh, off the field stuff. But maybe I got a little too caught up in that. I, but it's so much of it is just handicapping the voters as much as you handicap the players. Let's go to Sunday night football because Kirk Cousins being out moved this line to double digits and it was not as sort of, uh, you know, it wasn't as hyped or it wasn't as intense. We, we weren't ex we weren't as excited with the Cousins uh, being no longer available and Sean Mannion starting for the Vikings. And this was all Packers from the start. Well, the Sean Mannion started ruined the trend of every Vikings game being decided by single digits. <laughs> they had gotten 12 straight games decided by one score. And then all of a sudden they get blown out last night by the Packers. Perhaps there's a bigger uh, gap between Kirk Cousins and Sean Mannion than the odds makers indicated that line was about six and a half or seven before the Cousins injury. It closed 12 and a half. So about a five and a half, six point move between Kirk Cousins and Sean Mannion. Packers go to 12 and four against the spread this year, tying Dallas for the best mark in the NFL. LaFleur 13 and four against the spread in primetime games. Packers are five and zero oh against the spread in primetime games this year. So they've really been cashing for betters who uh, want to chase in these primetime games. And like you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers now minus 400 win MVP. He was minus 170 entering the week. You could have got him at pretty big numbers just a couple weeks ago. But I was completely with you on fading Aaron Rodgers just because I thought that sports writers would vote against him. But every other MVP candidate seems to fall on his face week after week, except for Tom Brady. But Brady had the national television shutout loss to the Saints where he lost all of his weapons, lost another weapon on Sunday, which, you know, we can talk about or not talk about. doesn't really matter. But uh, Brady's odds actually moved from plus 700 to plus 550. I thought seven to one was some value on Brady. And I looks like I'll get some closing line value on that. But like you said, this race is basically on ice. The Packers clinched the one seed, so they don't really have anything to play for anymore. So you have to imagine that Rodgers is going to win this award. But. As we've seen, these awards can fluctuate a lot from week to week. Yeah, with Rodgers not playing, getting the one seed, I mean, what's it going to, like, you have to visualize, what's the path to victory? We talk about that in, in fighting, right, MMA and boxing. What's the path to victory for the other contenders? I just don't think there is one, right? I tend um, to agree with you. I mean, Brady, if he throws six touchdowns, 500 yards, is he going to pass Rodgers? Like, I don't I don't think so. I don't really think so. They're playing the really Panthers. Sounds, not, right. Yeah, they're playing the Panthers, which is, you know, not exactly a marquee game, and one interesting with the line in that game is Tampa Bay hosting Carolina. That line is only Tampa Bay minus eight. So if that line is expecting Tampa Bay to play all their guys, that line is definitely double digits. But the fact that it's only eight tells you a lot. Obviously, Tampa Bay has been very banged up, especially on defense and in the receiving core. But uh, that that eight point line is a pretty juicy if you think they're going to play their starters. Right. Um, OK, other results from yesterday. That was an incredible comeback for your Jets. Uh, against your Jets, I should say. And uh, how did you feel about that one? Uh, well, yeah, Brady, bur you know, burning the Jets yet again. Oh, yeah, I'm used to that. It's the 31st time he's beaten the Jets. Uh, only The second most against any opponent, but only behind Brady against the Bills. 
I was really rooting pretty hard for the Jets in that one. So that unlike the Jaguars game, so that kind of stunk though. One silver lining was that the last second touchdown did put the game over the total. That was probably my biggest play of the week, just because the Jets have been a uh, the Jets have been the best over team in the NFL over the last uh, thirteen weeks. They've gone over the total in ten of their last thirteen games largely because their defense is by far the worst in the NFL. I was pretty surprised that they held Tampa Bay down as long as they did right. only 28 points for the Bucks. The Jets offense has quietly been okay, even though they're missing their top three receivers, their top two tight ends, their top number two running back, their starting running back and hurt their game. They are missing multiple offensive linemen. Their entire offense is basically hurt, but Zach Wilson still played pretty well. Um, Antonio Brown disappointing a lot of DFS uh, players because he was one of the most rostered players in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker and all those contests this week. He was over 30% rostered in some of the contests that I played. Um, uh, a lot of people also uh, criticized the Jets for going for it on fourth and two uh, to try to ice the game late down the stretch. Our win probability metrics at ESPN gave the Jets a 5% better chance to win when they went for it on fourth and two. Basically, they needed two yards. You get two yards to win the game. You don't get two yards. Brady gets the ball back down four inside his own 10-yard line. Uh, the issue was that the Jets ran a QB sneak from two yards out, which wow. you know, uh, not, which is not exactly the best play call. They discussed after the game that it was supposed to be a reverse to Braxton Berrios, and there was a, some miscommunication on the play between uh, Zach Wilson and the coaching staff. So he snuck it, which obviously did not work. And shockingly, shockingly Tom Brady leads the Buccaneers right down the field, scoring the game-winning touchdown with 15 seconds left. Buccaneers don't cover the spread, but like I mentioned earlier, the game goes over the total. 82% of the tickets on that one were on Tampa Bay. So Tampa Bay was a really popular team in that game. So the public loses there. Yeah, public, uh, excuse me, public. Five double-digit favorites on Sunday. Bucks were just one of them. They did not cover, as you just alluded to, but some others did. Patriots, we just mentioned. The Falcons get the cover. What a weird game. It was 2 nothing Atlanta. Then they had five points, and then they chipped away. It was 29-15, so 14-point finals, 14 and a half. I did like Atlanta. I thought that was going to 10-point wins. I was very uh, proud that the extra couple points uh, did prove to be the difference. Nothing sort of remarkable about that game, but the Bills are kind of a chic pick right now for uh, to be a Super Bowl pick. It was an interesting game for the Bills offense because Josh Allen as a passer was terrible in this game. He's the first quarterback to win a game with zero passing touchdowns, three interceptions, and a completion percentage below 50% in nine years since Mark Sanchez back in 2012, a game where Sanchez got benched in the middle of that game. But Josh Allen obviously ran for a couple of touchdowns and he's obviously too good of a quarterback to bench and they shouldn't have. But the interesting thing for the Bills offense is that they found a running game in this one. They ran for 233 yards, 110 and two touchdowns from Devin Singletary. If you assume that Josh Allen gets his act together as a passer, this offense is looking a lot more balanced than it was a couple of weeks ago. We saw the Bills Patriots game in the prime time where even though the wind was was blowing like crazy, the Bills still couldn't really establish a running game. So the fact that they're finding a running game entering the playoffs as we as we enter early January, uh, that, that's a good sign for the Bills, even though Josh Allen struggled. And uh, we're looking at a, a Bills Patriots rematch right now in the wild card round if the uh, if the favorites win this weekend. So we might get the a third third chance there. Um, we actually had this line closing at 14, not 14 and a half. So officially it goes down as a push, though, like you said, it was 14 and a half for most of the week. The Falcons had been 0 and 6 against the spread against teams with winning records. Typically, when they play these good teams, they get blown out. This time they hung around just enough to push or cover, depending on what number you got. And we already mentioned the Packers. They cover 
the 13 and a half. Uh, this one was wild. Niners, Texans. The world was on the Texans plus the points, and I couldn't blame them because Trey Lance was starting. And I told Fortinbaugh off camera and things like that, said, just be very careful. It's a very public dog. This might have a weird kind of cover for the Niners. And I was with, like, I had no interest in laying the points with the Niners. I mean, Texans are passed for me. They're up 7 nothing, And then it's uh, 20 to 7. And then they'll get break a long run, two, basically go 80 yards in two plays. And then they end up kicking a 36 yard field goal with a buck 16 to go to get up 16 points. So just a fluky, fluky finish in a game that was pretty low scoring. I live bet the under. Um, 20 to nothing. Niners outscore Houston again. They led 7 nothing in the early second quarter. Didn't score again. Yeah, I was with you on this one. This was a dogger pass all the way. Kyle Shanahan as a home favorite is still somebody I like to try to fade in that spot. He's 6 16 and 2 ATS in his career as a home favorite. He had a long losing streak as a home favorite, but he's covered three in a row now as a home favorite. So that trend might be falling apart. San Francisco had not been this big of a favorite since 2014 under Jim Harbaugh. Trey Lance is the second rookie quarterback since the merger to be a double-digit favorite in one of his first two starts in a non-strike season, along with Lamar Jackson. And Lance played pretty well in this game, averaged over 10 yards per attempt, threw the ball pretty well down the field in the second half, made enough plays to win. And then Eli Mitchell came back from injury, ran for 119 yards. Trey Lance was one of another player who was super popular in DraftKings just because of his low price. Didn't run for as much as some people thought he would, only 31 yards on the ground, but he still got there with 249 yards and two touchdowns through the air. Another late field goal in the final minute and change that produced a cover. Jake Elliott from 41 yards out after the Eagles get a big run. That put him up four to cover the three and a half. Now, it did steam up to four and a half and then close six. So, obviously, those numbers, but the early numbers for the public just chiming in on Eagles because remember how terrible Washington looked last Sunday night so we knew that number was going to steam and it did steam and obviously people could have middled that but the Eagles I mean look Washington led 10 nothing after one first quarter and then the Eagles chipped away two field goals in the fourth to get them to win by exactly four yeah like you mentioned this was a very public game 77 percent of the tickets at Caesar Sportsbook were on Philadelphia this line was three and a half for a bunch of the week closed at six so technically the uh Technically, the home team gets the cover. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, home teams went 12-2-1 against the spread, against the closing line, the best week all season. And the Eagles running game continues to get it done. They've rushed for the most touchdowns in a single season by the Eagles since 1949, 24 touchdowns this season. And the Eagles clinched a playoff berth with, berth with one week to go. Uh, I don't know how many people thought the Eagles would, would uh, have already clinched their playoff spot entering the final game, but here we are in that spot. Yeah, not many expected it. Um, I was not big on Jalen Hurts, so to speak, and at least from a passing perspective, I was under on his passing yards prop for the season. i got to check that one out, how it looks. But uh, let's go to another game that was really interesting with the Rams and Ravens. No Lamar Jackson. Huntley gets the call. Rams steamed up a little bit, but it's not that easy to go on the road and against a Ravens team that's well-coached. They had lost four straight. Now Rams get the touchdown late with the extra point, take the lead. But this was a, a battle all game. So, but the Rams win 20-19. to 19. Ravens get the cover with the points. Another close loss for the Ravens. The Ravens were, were living a charmed life earlier in the season. They they had a bunch of miracle wins early in the year. The Lions game in that long Justin oh, Tucker God. field goal. The Colts game, they were down big. The Chiefs game, they were down big. The Vikings game, they were down two touchdowns. And now it's all coming back the other way. Regression is biting them pretty hard. 
It's their third loss by two points or fewer in the last four weeks alone. However, Baltimore does get the cover and in, including that game, they are 14 and two against the spread as a dog since 2018, which is when they drafted Lamar Jackson. They're nine and one when Lamar starts They're five and one when he doesn't start. So either way, they're getting it done. They're also five and zero oh against the spread as a home dog in that span. Almost got the win there. They, they're now three and two straight up in that spot. So almost four and one. Another big game for Cooper Cup, who probably passed. I haven't checked the offensive uh, player of the year odds, but uh, I, I imagine he's passed Jonathan Taylor after this performance. I know I that was a pretty that neck that and neck race. What happened? What'd you say? I would agree that he probably passed him. Yes. And but Cup now needs 12 receptions and 136 yards to break the single season records. So we'll see where those props are set at, because you imagine that the uh, Rams are going to try to get Cup those records, though. The Rams still need a win because they still need a win that win to take home that division title. So they're going to try to win and get Cup the record. So we'll see. But Matthew Stafford, fourth pick six of the year. That's as many as Jared Goff had his entire Rams career. So while Stafford's been pretty good this year, he's been prone to some pretty awful mistakes as well. Do you know, I saw a stat this week. Do you know who the only player in NFL history to have at least 50 pass attempts in his career and not have a pick six is? Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. 50, <laughs> yeah, 50 pass attempts is pretty low. I, I feel like this could be anybody at 50 pass attempts, but what do you got? I feel like I need to go research that stat because you're right. 50 pass attempts isn't that. It was Mitchell Trubisky. Okay. I feel like it's got to be more than 50 pass attempts. Or maybe a lot it was of the last five who... years now that I think about it. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop this stat and get yeah, it back. Yeah, so maybe it's not a good stat. Uh, <laughs> going back, so I just checked DraftKings. Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor, each minus 110. So this could be a big – I might have to come off the bench and fire on this award. Yeah, I kind of like Cup there. I mean, Taylor's not going to get 2,000 yards. He needs – 200 plus yards to get it this week. I mean, they're going to try to get it to him, uh, but, you know, but Cup's going to be, but with the numbers Cup is putting up is unbelievable. I mean, Taylor's putting up a big season too, but Cup is literally breaking records, which it doesn't right. look like Taylor's going to. So I think that that award is Cup's to lose, especially when you're going to have the narrative where they win and they get the division title next week. So I agree. I agree. Um, you, let's, let's go to the Colts with Jonathan Taylor. Raiders continue to win. A third straight win with all this playoff uh, positioning in flux. They were over a touchdown underdog with the Carson Wentz news throughout the week. Kind of a wild point spread move. It was down to three and then up or out two and a half, I believe. But the Raiders are just pulling games out of nowhere. This line even touched one and a half at some books. And even if you had the one and a half, you can get the best. All the closing line value in the world would not have helped you in this game with the Raiders pulling off the upset. Tough for the Colts to play from behind with Carson Wentz. The third time this year they've trailed by double digits, have yet to get a comeback in any of those games. Even his go-ahead touchdown pass to T.Y. Hilton, he kind of just chucked it up in the air, got a lucky deflection that Hilton caught in the end zone. But the Raiders continue to be very dramatic a couple weeks ago. Entering week 14, or after week 14, our football power index gave them a 4.8% chance to the playoffs. Now they have a win and end game next weekend, Sunday night here at Allegiant Stadium against the Chargers. Wow. It's the fifth walk-off win this year for Las Vegas. And uh, now we get to see uh, the NFL move to Vegas for just for moments like these. And next Sunday night, we'll see a, a win and end playoff game between the Raiders and Chargers. Chargers laying three uh, in that one right now. So the Chargers need the win. Yeah, well. the, correct. Both those teams are winning in. It's a three-way tie with the Colts right there. You figured the Colts are going to get the win because – 
the Colts play the Jaguars on the road. Colts laying 15 and a half in that one. So uh, that's pretty much a foregone conclusion. You would think. You never know. Hey, you look, never the know. Jags won at home as double-digit dogs against the Bills. And it seems like the Colts knock me out every year in Eliminator. So they, they're they prone to lose games like these sometimes. But uh, even still, but, but Raiders, you know, a lot of people left them for dead early in the season for good reason. They've had all the drama in the world this, this year. Uh, I heard some people even saying Rich Passaccia should get some uh, some uh, some credit for potential coach of the year. I saw he's 50 to one right now. I mean, he's not going to win it because he didn't coach half the year there. And you have to imagine that voters kind of want to just ignore the John Gruden story. But right. it's still an amazing story that the Raiders were even in this position. Nobody thought they'd be there before the year. Nobody thought they'd be there a couple weeks ago. But here they are with a win and in chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, no, remarkable, remarkable uh, resiliency from Derek Carr. And uh, the entire uh, Raiders team. A couple games I want to just touch on. Titans blow out the Dolphins. Miami had won seven straight, six and one ATS during this run. But Tua in the weather and the elements just wasn't very good. Titans very well coached, getting it done, have a chance to lock up the one seed, maybe get Derrick Henry back. Things could are certainly looking bright there in Nashville. And I think that Mike Vrabel should be the favorite for coach of the year. The coach of the year market's another one that moved a lot this week. Zach Taylor is now the favorite passing Matt LaFleur. Uh, Vrabel's plus 350, third in the odds. But to me, you look at what the Titans have done with all the injuries they've had on both sides of the ball, losing Derrick Henry, losing their receivers for a long chunk of the year. If you watch them play like they look, and I mean, until this week, they look like an average football team or maybe even a below average football team a lot of weeks. But you look up, they're the one seed in the AFC. They have a game against Houston to clinch the one seed. I think the narrative could flip to ne- next week to Vrabel and the Titans. Like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe Tennessee is the one seed in the AFC getting the bye at plus 350. I still think there's some value there. Vrabel was 12 to one, even 14 to one in some books entering last week. I re-upped on him a little bit there. He was 20 to one uh, about a month and a half ago when I first took him. So I am driving the Mike Bra- Bra- Vrabel. Yeah, you got some bias bandwagon. What you say? <laughs> You got some bias there in your presentation of the. Oh, hundred percent. But I agree with you. I, I think there should be more buzz. I mean, obviously, what the Bengals have done, beating the Chiefs and all that. But I don't. I I feel like Vrabel is more influential to this current Titans performance and where they are in the standings than like any other coach. I feel like he's kept the team together. Bunch of big moves. He's done an, an excellent job over there. I Another totally blow agree. out. This was my best bet yesterday on the show and on Sports Center. Bears minus six, six and a half. Giants are pathetic. This is when I thought Jake Fromm was starting. Glennon's a little better, and um, I, I think so. I, I think so. 29-3, your final. Giants couldn't do anything on offense, and just a pitiful performance the last few weeks. Joe Judge is just talking out of nowhere um, when he gets up to the podium after these games. We really don't have to mention a whole lot, but Andy Dalton and the Bears get the easy win and cover. Anything interesting there? It was the lowest total all season at 36 and a half. It still stayed under. It actually tied the lowest total in any game in the last two years. The only other game with a total that low was that uh, infamous Saints Broncos game last year. Where the Broncos <laughs> literally had no starting quarterbacks available. So a game between Mike Glennon and uh, Nick Foles is ba- or sorry, Andy Dalton is basically on the same lines as a game where one team literally has no quarterback. And to be fair, the Giants basically had no quarterback in this one. They ran, they threw for a net, Negative 10 yards in this game. That is the fewest net passing yards by any team in a game since 1998 when the Ryan Leaf Chargers had that few yards in a game. So the Giants offense, they basically just abandoned the pass entirely at a point in this game. And I mean, they ran, they ran the ball, what, 
40 times and they threw the ball 11 times in a 26 point loss. That that tells you all you need to know about how much faith they have in their passing game. Yeah, they're pathetic. They're pathetic. And meanwhile, Matt Nagy and the Bears have kind of kept it together the last couple of weeks. They go into Seattle, win, beat the Giants at home. Even a couple of weeks ago, they were leading at halftime at Lambeau against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So nice, nice effort down the stretch here by your Chicago Bears. You mentioned the low total. Saints Panthers also had a low total. No Cam Newton. Sam Darnold gets the call. They were leading. And then ultimately, the Saints hang on an 18 to 10 game. It was a miss extra point that could have made it a two score game, but it, it kept it at 18 and thus kept the Panthers with some slim hopes there. But um, this is this game went as what you kind of expected. Yes, exactly. The whenever Taysom Hill starts, betting the under has been a pretty uh, pretty profitable strategy. Taysom Hill's now started eight games for the Saints. He's six and two against the spread, and the under is seven and one in those starts. And the, the, the funny thing is, you look at those, like it's all because of the defense. Like the defense seems to play great when Taysom Hill starts. Part, I'd like to say it's because Taysom Hill keep, takes care of the ball, but even when he th- seems to throw four interceptions in a game, the, the games uh, tend to stay under. Maybe it's a time uh, of possession thing, too, you know? I, I, I tend to agree. Just fewer snaps in these games. Uh, playing conservatively and against a team like the Panthers, with which has no passing game, whether it's Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, PJ Walker, whoever you throw out there, they they're just a complete mess offensively right now. Yeah, the O line particularly is rough. Oh yeah, Darnold gets crushed every single play too. So you got to get you got to give the O line uh, some of the blame there too. But the Panthers are now zero and six ATS in their last six games, zero and five with Cam Newton, and now zero and one with Sam Darnold back in the lineup. Seahawks final home game of the year. It was wild because it felt like every time the camera shot of um, Pete Carroll, he was trying to score. And even down the end, they run a reverse. The guy gets tackled on the one. I may or may not have been involved in a live line, but just a wild, wild game. 51-29, Seattle wins it and covers. Lions uh, were obviously frisky a week ago. Lose to Atlanta around the goal line in the final uh, seconds there. Uh, this one was really never close. 10 nothing Seattle after one. 31-7 at halftime. Seahawks uh, played a little bit of bully ball. This was a popular dog in this one. The Lions getting 74% of the tickets. They dropped the 10-6 and six against the spread, which is still amazing that they're 10-6 and six against the number, despite going 2-13 and one straight up. They're now at only 9-3 and three against the spread when getting at least four points in this one. And the over-under on this one was pretty low, 41 points, but it ends up being the second highest scoring game in the NFL this season with uh, 80 combined points, 51 by the Seahawks. It looked like they were trying to give Russell Wilson the try to pad his numbers toward the end and potentially his final home game in Seattle. So that could be something we, that we look forward to uh, maybe tonight with Ben Roethlisberger, perhaps his final game in Pittsburgh. You know, there's a few different guys who, who might be playing their final games uh, in their current arenas. Obviously, the Packers are going to make the playoffs, so it doesn't really affect Aaron Rodgers. But it was interesting to see uh, Seattle potentially run the score up there to try to get Wilson some numbers. He got four touchdowns in that one, uh, three to DK Metcalf. So uh, a massive performance by the Seahawks offense, which had been very disappointing for so long this year. Final game to get through. We mentioned the Chargers. They did take care of business against the, the Broncos. L.A., after losing to Houston a week ago, doesn't mess around. 7 nothing lead, although there was a couple punts early and stuffed on fourth down. But anyways, 17-3 to at half. Chargers roll and cover against the Broncos. Drew Locke, yet again, kind of a subpar performance. He did have 245, one touchdown, no picks. But I'm just not a fan of Drew Locke in general. I wonder what's going to happen with his future in Denver. But the Chargers win, cover, and advance in terms of to the next week uh, with playoff hopes still intact. 
Oh, we just mentioned Aaron Rodgers and uh, Russell Wilson. You imagine that Denver is going to be firmly in those sweepstakes this offseason if they're available. This game actually went over the total, snuck over the total with 47 combined points. It's the fifth straight Chargers game to go over, but overs have been pretty rare under Vic Fangio. Broncos are, are now 12 and four to the under this year. That's uh, still the best under percentage in the NFL. Yeah, this Broncos team, just not not very good. Uh, 83 rushing yards on the ground. That, that's pretty much their their only path to victory is to, to run to destroy teams with their running game. They couldn't get it done this time around. Chargers jumped on them, on them early with a 17 nothing lead and they never looked back on this one uh, before that. So that wraps it up. Any any good fun facts that we want to add that were on the cutting room floor before we uh, say goodbye? Yeah, so we didn't. I mean, we talked about the Bengals Chiefs game, but the but the the Bengals clinching the AFC North in that one. The Bengals were 25 to one before the season started to win the AFC North. It's actually kind of interesting. If you look at all the preseason favorites to win their divisions, it looks like the chalk is going to hold in pretty much every division, except this one. Uh, we've already had six division clinchings five by the favorites and the Rams and the bills basically are, are winning their in to win those divisions. And they were the preseason favorites in those divisions. So we could have seven chalk teams, and then the Bengals at 25 to one for the second biggest division long shot to win in the last 10 years, only behind Washington back in 2015. Um, that was the main other thing I wanted to bring up. And like I said, home teams, 12, two and one against the spread this week. Uh, so home teams had struggled all year, covering 45 percent of the time entering this week. But just on one week of, of uh, a great effort by home teams, that's now gone up to 47% on the season. So a lot of our worst record by home teams in X amount of years, all those notes are pretty much out the window after one great week by home teams, the best week they've had uh, possibly ever because the 12 covers is tied for the most covers by home teams in a single week in the Super Bowl era. So if, that, if, the, uh, if the Steelers cover tonight, on Monday night, uh, it'll be the best week we've ever seen by home teams in the Super Bowl era. Wow. Wow. Um, that's a that's really interesting. So all that work for researchers down the tube, down the tube. Now, we, <laughs> we had we had that. We used the information throughout the course of the season. All right, my man. Good stuff as always. Thank you for your hard work. I know our listeners certainly appreciate it. And uh, just a reminder to everyone, we have the 10-minute podcast every weekday. Monday through Friday, in and out, kind of looking ahead to that night. And then we have the extra podcast like this one. And then we also have the Thursday one and then also the uh, Friday one that we do and focus on the props. So a lot to get through and a lot to recap. One final week, the first week 18 ever in the NFL. And uh, we'll do it next weekend.